Nuchne. Apologies for that, uh, if my Klingon is terrible. Hello and welcome to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast, our regular look at the best and brightest, or not, that the show has to offer. If you're a regular listener, you'll know by now the theme of our current season, and if not, I'm sure I gave it away by my pitiful opening line, but this season we're taking a look at all things Klingon. I'm your host for this episode as Mike is currently undergoing treatment for his ghost candle addiction, so I'm afraid you're left with me, dear listeners. Have no fear, though. It's not just me witching away this week. I'm joined by regular podcast guest, editor, and Trek neophyte, Will Templar. How are you doing, Will? Hello, DK. Thanks for having me again. I'm doing well. Glad to be here. Nice one. Looking forward to this? Uh, yes, I'm glad to be back. First time this series. It is, indeed. Uh, so knowing how you are with Trek, I'm not expecting a, hmm. a really positive answer to this one. But we're going to go to our regular section, Hailing Frequencies Open. Okay. Hailing Frequencies Open, sir. And with that, I'm going to ask if, other than what we've been taking a look at today, have you been watching any Trek recently? Well, maybe I should rephrase huh. that. Have you watched any Trek since we last spoke? Uh, no, not particularly. Every single time I say, oh, yeah, I'll watch this episode, watch that series and whatever, but then never got around to it. That being said, this isn't my first TOS uh, episode that I've reviewed on this podcast and the show. So I'm getting quite a knack of it, and like spoilers for the review, I do quite like this one as well, like I did with the cage and some other TOS episode that we reviewed. So, you know, I think I've got my preference. I think I might actually delve deeper into the original series. You, you, you are getting there. I mean, for for anyone wondering, I believe the last one that we looked at together was the Enterprise episode Future Tense. Is that right? I believe so. It was Future Tense, and then I think I was on like a recording just before or just after that like a, a back-to-back and i'm not sure which came like most recently but yeah i remember the future tense one well nice one so other than other than the episodes have you not been really inclined to go back or have you got more pressing things on at the moment uh some more pressing things in real life so uh, i don't really have time with work and university and whatever however you know over the summer if i get some days off then i can see myself watching more absolutely and then if you have me on oh, in nice. about five months time and you ask me the same question i'll probably say no i haven't watched any but i hope, I, I hope so <laughs> <laughs> well either that or you'll come back and you'll just put mike and me to shame yeah i mean if i watch a whole entire show like a series of it and then i can come back and say yeah expand the hill miss section to whatever the hell you want you'll do that and and just Everybody else will just be stunned silence on the recording. Yes. And like Wilson, come on. You've got Star Trek here, dude. What's wrong? Now I want that to happen, I might actually have to watch it all. So, you know, well done for that one. <laughs> well, uh, being still relatively new to Trek, we uh, we do feel it would still be a little unfair to bombard him with hit or miss questions. So, uh, but at this point, I'm beginning to think that the reason Will is avoiding so much Trek, he just wants to avoid Mike flinging a bunch of questions about ships at him. Honestly, so, uh, yeah. The- <laughs> there will be no hit or miss section this week and we'll be going straight into a look at the episode itself which this week is from the third season of the original series Day of the Dove now it's first broadcast on the uh, the 1st of November 1968 in which spoilers but you know I'm sure the statute of limitations on those have passed by now <laughs> the uh, the crew of the Enterprise is forced by an alien entity to fight a group of Klingons on board the ship. Now, not only is the first time a female Klingon 
Mara with a speaking role is introduced, but it also introduces Kang, played by acting legend Michael Ansara, who would then go on to reprise the role 30 years later in Deep Space Nine and Voyager in the episodes Blood Oath and Flashback, respectively. It's frequently referred to as a standout in the off-maligned third season, and back in 2014, the site io9 listed the episode as the 99th greatest episode of Star Trek of all time, which may not sound all that great, but even back then there were well over 700 episodes. So, you know, whoever did the ranking back then certainly found it leaning towards top tier. So uh, before we go into any specifics, Will, do you have any general feelings on the episode? You kind of, you know, dropped us a little spoiler earlier before we take a deeper dive into I'm get you know, I'm guessing you watched it quite recently, yeah? Yeah, I watched it this afternoon. Uh, in two parts because, you know, again, my schedule is absolutely nuts, so I could only watch like 45 minutes and then I caught the final 10 minutes like about an hour ago. So it, it was a little bit uh, skew-whiffed, but uh, I got the general idea of the episode and yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it and it was a lot to think about and I think you guys tailored these episodes well for me because I know especially Mike knows the kind of stuff that I, I do enjoy and uh this is a real thinker episode i think so uh yeah a lot to talk about yeah yeah well i mean we'll get straight into it and mm. uh, we'll go straight into the uh, you know the writing as you say it's a thinking episode uh you know do you have any thoughts on the uh, on the general plot uh yes yeah, so i thought i instantly for those that are recurring listeners to this podcast i'm going to mention it doctor who uh the episode amy's choice the, with the dream lord and i thought uh with like the big bad of this episode being uh like we can call it a parasite that feeds off the uh the bad and like hate hatred between people and whatever i instantly thought of the dream lord from doctor who and i thought uh, it could be interesting perhaps to add like the head cannon that's um well not in the case of one of the crew members that tried to sexually well did sexually assault a woman on the um on the ship maybe not in, in this case but if uh the parasite could like turn the bad into like the bad in people into manifestations through their actions i thought that could be pretty interesting but that's just my own like headspace i don't think like the episode tried to imply that nothing that complex but um yeah i i just tried to justify wow tried to give an explanation to why what's his name uh the guy who did the big that guy I have my thoughts about the actor of that guy. I know Michael defended him when I said about his performance because I thought it was awful, to be honest with you. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure why he had to sexually assault the uh, Klingon. But there we go. Well, you know, you know. So I mean, back then it was kind of you know, like you know the go-to go-to thing when it sometimes when it came to uh, to, to threats against women, they automatically go to sexual violence, which. Is yeah. quite distasteful. I, I do. I, I, <sighs> looking, I mean, in the period of which it was in, I guess it was kind of acceptable. But looking back mm. on it, it's, it's, yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy watching. No, 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 no. But um, yeah, the script is generally strong. Uh, however, are we? Is this chronological? Or can I just jump to and fourth scenes? You can jump to wherever you want, mate. All right, no worries. Well, the very final, like, uh, the defeating of the Big Bad, I'm not sure if it was even given a name, to be honest with you. Like, the the Ring of Fire, we can call it, I suppose, because it did look like that. 
Um, I found it interesting. I'm just going to rattle off like <laughs> I my problems with the episode because you know I think it's a very strong episode. We're, we've got like the next hour and a half, two hours to talk about like the good stuff. So in terms of the bad stuff, I thought it was interesting yeah. how this big bad was meant to be like feeding off hatred and whatever, and then they defeated the big bad by being hateful towards it because it was like, oh, we don't like you here. Get off our ship. Blah 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 blah. And I was like, well, if it feeds off hatred kind of not feed off the hatred of the big bad that they are currently you know poking with a stick saying get out of here and i thought that was pretty interesting why that couldn't you know feed off but again like mike says you've got to be forgiven of these things because it was like 50 years ago yeah i mean as you mentioned it, it does feed on hate as soon as i saw that i thought oh, it's a republican <laughs> well yes now you uh, you've uh, divided our american audience on this podcast <laughs> uh, I, th- I think we'll have uh, i think we'll have driven away any right wing as long before Quite now, now yeah. mate. i won't worry about it fair enough but uh, yeah i think there's some there's some interesting uh things in this in this story like, I, I do think there's a lot, quite a lot of good lines uh You'll have to give, forgive me for the for the the writer. I'm not entirely sure about the writer, mm. but there's some uh, some really good lines. And you know, at this point, we've not really seen that much of the Klingons, other than things like Errand of Mercy, and uh, they're still kind of building up the Klingon race. And so, a lot of the the law that comes later in things like Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, it's it's very new here. The Klingon uh, core who was played by John Colicos. He was originally scheduled to come back for this episode and reprise the role, but he was contracted for the movie Anne of a Thousand Days at that point. So they got in uh, Michael Ansara, and not only do I think uh, Ansara knocked it out of the park with regards to the acting, but he had some really good lines. And I think Colicos, yeah. if you look back, you know, assuming he ever looked back on slumming it with Star Trek rather than mo- movies... Then, uh, mind you, he went into Battlestar Galactica, so, you know, swings and roundabouts. Uh, yeah, I'm sure he was kind of jealous of some of the lines that he's got. But, again, you, you do see a very barbaric side of of the Klingons, uh, you know, that when he mentions to Kirk at the start that if there's any sign of treachery once they get on the ship, they'll kill a 100 hostages, you know, every time something like that happens. So when Kirk relents, you know, he immediately calls them animals and says you know your captain crawls like one yeah but uh, but yeah there's some there's some really good lines like you know in uh, one of the Klingons later 4,000 throats may be cut in one night by a running man hmm. that kind of thing there's there's quite a few of those like you know at the end where, where Kang's saying only a fool fights in a burning house that's that's one of my favourite lines from this there's some some really good uh, dialogue in this which I'm, I'm not sure how familiar you are with it, but uh, in, tre- in season three of the original series, the budgets had really been cut. Uh, yeah. So <sighs> I have my problems with this, which we'll get to in a little bit. But uh, with what they're given, I think they do they do really well. And I, d- I don't think there's a... I, I mean, obviously you're going to disagree because of what you've said about uh, Walter Koenig as Chekhov in this one but I don't think there's really a bad performance with the exception of maybe one of the red shirts later on perhaps I, I just think William Shatner and uh, the guy who played Kank uh, and Sarah do you say 
Yeah, Michael and Sarah. Those two are just like the the leaders of the factions. They were just sublime, and they absolutely carried this episode on their back. Because I'm, oh, especially of the Doctor's performance, I'm not sure who played the Doctor, but when he had his that like, was, uh, Kelly, yeah, yeah, when he had this moment of like, oh, where is the military man inside of you? I just thought, oh, this isn't great, but just because of the music as well, because I thought the music throughout the episode was generally fantastic, except from in that scene where he had to be a bit more intense and the music was a bit too mixed, uh, mixed a bit too loudly. But um, before we do move on uh, about your point about the lines and dialogue and whatever, I did like about towards the end when they have Mara to themselves and they actually speak about the philosophies and the propaganda that have been passed on from generation to generation and whatever between uh, the factions. Um, I did like the line where she says, oh, uh, it's in our blood. We're hunters. This is what we do. We can't like change. And I thought, okay, so this it's a story about having to change like a, a race a species that are so set in their ways um that is interesting in terms of how they will like manipulate them kind of to actually you know call a truce in the end so i thought okay this could be really bad with just like a load of exposition oh we've got to do this and then i like how in the very next scene after oh, the were hunters bit uh he takes her to the bridge she uh, he friends to kill her and then he's like, oh, you called my bluff. And then he speaks about the propaganda that she heard. Because they're hunters, they're evil, and as such, their enemy, being the um, Starfleet whatever, uh, they had to create propaganda about them, saying, oh, they killed hundreds or thousands of people of their own species and whatever, I assume. Uh, so I think the the story there, like the world building was fantastic. Even for yeah. someone who hasn't seen the series. Yeah, I mean, when when you look back, when they first land on the planet at the start, mm. and obviously there's a bit of a, a backstory there with, uh, you know, when Chekhov brings up his brother, uh, Piotr, and obviously both both sides have had this distress call, but Mara mentions at that, mentions at that point that, you know, <clears throat> it's rife with tales of atrocities of the Federation mm. and, uh, you know, how they treat their prisoners. So... It's a nice little playoff on that bridge scene later on, I think, when she when she finds out that Kirk is bluffing and he never intended to harm her. Yeah. I don't know. That there's quite a lot of things that based on, on Star Trek lore with with regards to this. I mean, bear, other than the fact that this, this alien parasite, it does love some LARPing. Uh, obviously, it makes good use of that prop department with the swords and weaponry. Mm. Uh, and gradually, you see the crew begin to break down and i think it's interesting with regards to this how normally you have kirk being the emotional one and spock you know reining it in and spock being the voice of logic and i think it's very interesting in this one that kirk's logic stands up where spock's fails and even spock begins to succumb to this alien parasite and though even kirk knows that he's doing it he's the one that kind of puts it all together in that scene on the bridge later on yeah i think it's really interesting because normally you 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 go through this episode and yeah kirk's this great leader but the voice of reason behind it all is usually spock and i think whereas this stands out as an episode is you can see why kirk is regarded as such a legend when it comes to being a captain because he's there front and center and i mean no you know no offense to to nimoy as spock in this but i think uh Kirk is the real, you know, MVP when it comes to this one. 
Yeah, because especially with Shatner, I was like, okay, what would I do in this position? Because it seems like like all hope is gone and whatever when the engines are being depleted and it's 12 minutes to go i think what would i say or do in the situation and then he's a handsome man he is like the best looking crew member there is and he just comes in the shot just like glows up when he comes in and he like asserts himself as the captain gives people stuff to do and uh you tr- actually trust him because there are some intense scenes where you think okay this could be dangerous but then he kind of just rides the wave confident face and you think yeah we're in safe hands the crew members aren't gonna die or anything like that there's gonna be no issues so yeah and especially with spock as well there was a scene where he was like succumbing to the parasite and um i think he was a little bit racist or whatever or like um some issues with his uh identity and whatever and being like a hybrid between vulcan and human and whatever i think he had an issue with uh humans emotions at one point so i do think yeah. it could be interesting like right like i said earlier with the dream lord like the manifestations of the bad in people perhaps that was him questioning him himself like the the problems that he has with himself perhaps that's coming through because the script allows it the premise allows it yeah i mean he, he just turned around after that and says i too felt a brief surge of racial bigotry most distasteful yeah so he knows it's wrong he knows his morals but the, the parasite was too strong for him so it did come out of him or perhaps it was completely yeah. influenced by him and it wasn't him at all it's interesting though if it was him it's i don't know you see it obviously they're, they're being influenced by this parasite you do see a darker side of a lot of these crew members you know we've already mentioned it with mccoy and his you know how many must die before you start acting like military men and and you know the unpleasant scene with mara and Chekhov in the corridor and uh yeah it puts a it puts a real dark side to a lot of the crew members that even in episodes you know where there are evil duplicates of them as it were it kind of outshines them in that respect for me because you're not looking at duplicates you're not looking at alternate universe versions you're actually looking at the the heroes of the piece basically Mm. and they're acting in such a way that it makes you really uncomfortable yeah like in the past with the doctor i praised that guy to the hilt because i think he's a great character and i'd be intrigued to know like what the doctor's backstory is because of his attitudes with the uh with the military and like the people the, the democrats you could say who like speak things out and he wants to bring the fight to them is he being a doctor a more passive man is that completely the contrast of who he is or does he have a past where he was a fighter you could say i'm not sure it'd be interesting to know as as far as i know he's he's always been a kind of peaceful man i mean mike may be uh, the voice of authority on this so he, he he may correct me on this but as far as i know you never see other than than in you know he has a, an impatient streak and a, and he's you know quick to anger sometimes as far as i know he's a, a, a full fully behind the the federation and the peaceful mission and that kind of thing so it it really does you know come across like it's the antithesis of who he really is but you kind of mm. see it with with all of them where you know the, there is a point where uhura who's normally you know calm and you know she she knows her stuff she starts kind of she panicking on the floor, and, yeah yeah and, and and breaking up and i it's it is to me it's very strange because 
it's been a while now since I've watched the original series. Mm. So obviously, the, uh, the, uh, the many of the memories that I take uh, of the idealized versions of these people. So being dropped back into it and seeing this darker shade of their personality, it it can be quite jarring. Yes, that's why with Chekhov, I I said to Mike, he's a goofy looking dude. Let's be honest, and a goofy looking dude acting tough and like almost avenge my brother it does come across as quite hammy to me and you said jaren i say hammy in that respect that's fair enough i mean at at the risk of getting a bit of negativity from some of the listeners i would say that he has had hammier moments so in some respects this is even in the you know the the nasty scene he he can be quite restrained in this so maybe it's a kind of swings and roundabouts thing, as I mentioned earlier, with, with me watching and you just like kind of cherry picking or having, you know, episodes chosen for you. Mm. You you might not get the the differences. I mean, you, you might come back after watching the original series and, you know, oh, DK, that's, you know, that he was like freaking Hamlet in that one compared to some <laughs> of the others. Yeah. So, you know, I think where the plot falls kind of down for me and not, and not and it's not so much with the writing uh it's with the budget because mm. as i say in the third season the budget really really had taken a hit and so they kind of explain away the empty corridors by saying oh everybody's trapped you know in the lower decks and so you've got I, th- I believe it was at one point there were 38 Klingons 38 Federation yeah and yeah it's a good way to explain it away but to me it kind of just draws attention to the fact that these sets are now looking empty if that makes sense yes so there was a moment where um, like, there was a moment where they were teleported up to the ship and two people out of nowhere just like extras like crew members and whatever come on out of nowhere to take the second assemble of like klingons that came up to the ship seconds off and away uh not yeah. from the planet but from their ship them- itself and um i think well why weren't they there in the first place obviously there had been like a car you know a change around of uh cast and whatever and they were just drawn in there because they weren't in the previous scenes and i didn't actually catch the whole wow I did catch the line where they said, oh, they're all tra- uh, trapped behind lower decks and whatever, with the bulkheads and whatever. But if you had mentioned it then, I would not have realised, kind of. Just because, now that I think about it in previous TOS episodes that I have watched, there is always, like, quite a few people in the corridors, just, like, people with, I don't know, clipboards and, I don't know, just walking with, it off, like, intense, you could say. Whereas in this episode, yeah. now that I think about it, they were indeed empty so i i can imagine it is a stark contrast for you who you know has watched every episode i can imagine yeah i mean this i think i think it's 38 each uh it says klingon battle cruisers can hold up to 440 people but kang said 400 of his crew were killed i i guess of getting around the fact that you've not got the budget for this but to me uh, this, this feel a little like things are winding down and uh, yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I just can't help but think how much more chaotic and how much more of an impact this might have made had there been, you know, a lot. Obviously, you, you would have then had to deal with the fact that, you know, you can only bring a certain amount of Klingons over uh, in the transport. Otherwise, you'd spend half the episode beaming people aboard. 
But uh, yeah, I just it would have been nice to see him a little more populated. But maybe that's just that's just personal preference. I mean, for me, I thought the Klingons was fine because there was one shot of them all in uh, the prison room or whatever, and there must be at least. 15 20 of them and i thought okay that's a good sense of scale because if there is a fight between these 20 and the uh the bridge i think yeah that's going to be an interesting battle to watch and then especially in the choreographed fight scenes towards the middle and end with the swords and whatever uh, okay maybe those scenes were a little bit disappointing because it was only like a three versus three four versus four in the end uh in those shots but in the scene where they were in the prison room and you had the white shot of everyone in the same room. I thought that was pretty impressive to establish the scale of yeah. the story. Yeah. I do like the little the little touches here and there as well. You mentioned it earlier where uh, Scotty tell, says, you know, in 12 minutes we'll be totally without engine power because mm. the crystals are deteriorating. And it happens with exactly, at that point, 12 minutes left in the episode. <laughs> so... Yeah, I, I do like little things like that. And, Likewise, yeah. You know, again, little bits of dialogue, like when Kirk's reading out the captain's log and he says, Stargate Armageddon. It's... One hates to use the, 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 the word, but the entire premise is basically about, you know, how it would be much more beneficial instead of fighting each other that people cooperate. Uh, as they say, you know later on in the episode there's another way to survive mutual trust and help and uh, mm. looking at it from today's mon lens these people that are suddenly accusing star trek of being woke you just kind of wonder where they were when this episode was screened because this is like you know kind of the very definition of accepting your your enemies as it were rather than fighting them because eventually it's going to lead to your utter destruction whereas cooperating with each other can only benefit you you see i i would agree and i i do agree because michael said the same about the fans this could you know i've said the woke not the woke fans the the, the you know the bigots that don't like this yeah. kind of uh st- story and whatever uh nowadays but um i do think if this wasn't the final klingon story um i don't think that kind of has the impact it could have for example if this episode like had a more conclusive ending of okay we have to actually have like a resolution to the story whereas wherein should i say in the future we do live peacefully because something like this could happen again whereas the how it was played in the episode seems more of like a comedy bit in terms of where uh the faction leader hits him shiner hard on the back in terms of like a a playful but still firm way of saying oh yeah we're good but i'm still gonna hurt you as to say well we have to get this enemy off the ship but i still hate your guts you know what i mean so i still get the impression that okay in a few serious time the klingons will be back and they'll be back for vengeance and they'll still hate each other no lessons learned and because that's just the impression i get because you know at the end they are desperate the time the duration is going is depleting they have to get rid of it so they just smile and it goes you know what i mean it's not like genuine it's not sincere well obviously i mean you know after this we had episodes in the animated series with the klingons but for a lot of the time that wasn't really considered canon okay and i think the 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 next time you really see interaction between uh this crew and the klingons is in star trek 3 
uh, Search for Spock, where Kirk still has that kind of distrust of Klingons, but then, you know, the one played play by Christopher Lloyd crew just straight outright murders his son that he's just found. Right. And I think that's where, you know, things kind of take a downturn. So with regards to that, you know, that kind of thing, I do think it kind of works. I, I see your point with regards to the the humour of the situation. It would have been nice to have another episode after this, as you say, to see how things would have progressed or not progressed. Mm. Uh, but again, I think it's a shame that it's down to budget and yeah. uh, what eventually happened with the show's cancellation. And as you say, it's kind of a missed opportunity in that regard. Yeah, and I think a lot of these things in terms of... I watch these isolated episodes and I think, well, I hope there's more context to this in like future or past episodes. And then more times than not, I have you or Mike say, no, it was a missed opportunity because it never kind of gets brought up again. And I just think, oh, that's a shame because there is definite potential with a lot of things in these original series episodes that aren't being played upon by the sounds of things. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of interesting little uh, kind of technical stuff in this where things are kind of done for the, the first time okay. as such, or the last time. Uh, there's a signal on Kirk's communicator to warn him, obviously, that they're under a hostile situation. And because of this, the Klingons are kept in, yeah, I suppose if we're using next generation terms, they're kept in the, the transporter buffer. Mm. while a security team's called. Uh, there's also some intraship beaming. Uh, it is routine in later incarnations of Star Trek. It's called site-to-site transport. But this is... It's the first and only time it's done in the original series. It is referenced before in Shore Leave, but this is the first time you actually uh, you actually see it on the mm. uh, on the ship. On, oh, sorry, on the series. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I know it's it's been a while since I've seen this, but I was actually surprised that the red shirt down on the planet makes it back from the planet in the first place because there's a scene right at the start where the Klingons line up all the crew members and he says... You know, if if you don't, if I don't get what I want, I'm going to start torturing you. And your first thought is, yeah, it's going to be the guy in the red shirt at the back. <laughs> yeah. But he doesn't. He's actually off. And I, I was quite surprised that that guy made it back in one piece because by this point in proceedings, whenever you see members of the crew on a planet and they're in danger and one of them is an unknown, you, you've pretty much guessed who's going to get it. Yeah. I mean, I, when they put that device on the guy's cheek or the neck or whatever it was, I thought that was pretty much it. I thought he was dead. So when he, like, uh, said, uh, not Spock, uh, was, uh, Kirk, Kirk, you can't do this and whatever. I was like, oh, he's alive. And then he just jump on him again. I was like, okay, that didn't kill him. What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then it goes, I mean, it does try and give some background with regards to uh, the Klingons with raids on the outposts and... I'm not sure again if that was set before End of Errand of Mercy because at this point this Organian treaty where they're not supposed to be attacking each other is in effect. Where that goes with relation to this, I don't know whether the Organian treaty is failing or whether this parasite is has got more power. 
But when they tried attacking each other back in End of Mercy, they got like this kind of white hot flash around them, so they couldn't get near each other. That mm. seems to have kind of gone out the window by this point. <sighs> Interesting. I, I mean, I don't know where it stands in relation to this, but uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's actually a decent episode. It's well plotted. There are some, as we've said, you know, I don't want to keep going over them. Quite distasteful parts on this. Obviously, the 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 for the most part they're in blackface which is even darker than they were in episodes before right. you've got the racial slurs the assault by Chekhov I mean yes they were being made to do these things by the entity but it's it's still quite uncomfortable to watch especially the one between you know Chekhov and Mara thankfully it's... he gets knocked out straight after yeah it's it's a hard watch yeah yeah I, I've Which, got to uh, say, I you pretty much would if you if you ran into that happening. True, but, and uh, like in relation to the series as a whole, series three, because you said the budget problems and whatever else, I did look on IMDb shortly uh, before this recording just to make sure my score wasn't too lenient or harsh or whatever. I wasn't going to change my score, but I was interested to know, like on the other episodes, where I kind of fit into the consensus, what people would generally think, and. Um, I think, judging based on the IMDb scores of the other episodes in this series, this, I think, is, like, the highest rated, or in terms of, like, the highest five rated episodes of the series. So I think Michael said this is one of his favourite episodes from the original series and whatever. And I think, is it just because... I know Michael's going to listen to this. I, I'm just I'm interested to know if what he thinks retrospectively, uh, if he'd still say the same watching it individually and not in the context of his series. But could it just be because it's the best of a bad bunch, perhaps? Like, I think it's a good episode. But if the series isn't the best, maybe just because it's a stronger story, he thinks it's his favourite. I'm not sure. Do they... When you were looking it up, is it a question of uh, comparing it to the series in general or just season three? Just series three, I mean, yes. Uh, I don't know. This is... (sighs) It's, I, I mean, it, I guess it's down to personal preference. You do have some really good episodes mm. in uh, series series three. I mean, they they do kind of try and get around the budgetary problems as as best they can. I mean, one of my f- favorite episodes, uh, Tholian Web, it's a series three, uh, which interestingly interestingly enough, they they reuse. Uh, section where the, the where the aliens like hovering over the people in engineering, they pretty much crib that scene and just replace Kirk in the Tholian web with with the alien parasite. So th- there was a lot of cost cutting going on. I I think it's as I say, I think it's unfairly uh, maligned. Series three, they were having to deal with a lot of you know problems behind the scenes. Uh, mm. But there, there are some, there are some good, good episodes in there. So, uh, okay. yeah, I think it's it just in general, as as much as it plays up the as as when you look back, it plays up the Klingon aspect with uh, the original series. It wasn't overloaded with Klingon episodes. So when you have some like uh, standout ones, such as this or Errand of Mercy or you know Trouble with Tribbles. Uh, then they are going to stand out. 
especially if they're well written. And I think Errand of Mercy and this one were well written. And especially with this, when it, it dives into, you know, conflict and serial cooperation and bigotry, I, uh, it, it really hammers those points home. So Star Trek was always kind of, you know, an analog for present day issues. And I think that comes through beautifully in this episode, which, I mean, when you look at other things in, in the series, like things like Spock's brain and, and, and the children shall lead. I mean, you're not familiar with them, but no. people out there listening, there are, there are some dodgy episodes, but there is some, some good stuff in there. I mean, personally, things like uh, Paradise Syndrome, uh, Spectre of the Gun, uh, Tholian Web. There are some, some good episodes in here. But uh, I think it's more down to the fact that, you know, you have a good portrayal uh, from, I would say, at least the majority of the regular cast members. Yeah, I was going to say, when you are dealing with budgetary problems, you you often have to rely on, like, the storytellers, so the writers and, of course, the main cast. And I think William Shatner is, like, the perfect actor to lead the series because he's just phenomenal. In every episode that I've seen, he's the standout. But I think especially in this one... I mean, don't get me wrong. I love John Colicos and Sarah as Kang in this. He has that kind of cool, calculating thing going about him. And I just think he he, he oozes charisma. And I know you pro- yeah. he, he probably shouldn't, being the uh, the antagonist. But I think he's a, he's, a, he's a really good actor and he's a really good character. And uh, that's why I was, I was so glad to see him when he returned returned later on but yeah i think yeah we we have problems we have budgetary problems this is happening that's happening we have to make the best of what we have and you know some really pretty damn fine actors yeah. for the most part they can lift the material up Hmm. So with Kang, what you just said about uh, then coming across as good because he's uh, got a lot of charisma and whatever, I do think it's interesting to put it across in this way because it's an episode where both sides are negative because of the parasite making them both, you know, the two factions we could say are like bad people, for example. Uh, with Shanner and Kang, uh, Kirk and Kang, should I say, they're both the leaders of their own factions who both believe they're doing right. For example, uh, with, I forgot her name, who, um, oh, Mara, Mara, of course, who says we're hunters. This is just yep. what we do. Yeah. This is our instinct. This is what we've always done. Uh, that's what they believe in. And we, and the, you know, the starship are like more benevolent people and are complete opposites. However, because of the parasite feeding off the evil, they're both as bad as each other so uh with the two lead actors being both fantastic you have more you know opportunity for the actors to bounce off each other and be similar in terms of morals whereas they're both fighting what they believe to be true because they're evil they're good however they're both trying to make sense of the situation in their own different ways yeah i i i it often helps in situations like this if you have someone who is kind of an equal and opposite for that kind of ultimate foil. And I think Ansara definitely lives up to Shatner with regards to that. They're both really good actors. And I think without 
either of them, this episode wouldn't be you know, half as not. good. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I mean, with with that, I mean, if it's okay, if you've not got any more notes on the writing, I'll, seeing as we're kind of naturally going into it, are you all right to go ahead with the acting? Let's do acting. Nice one. So, obviously, we're uh, we're still on Shatner. He, as I said, he is really good in this. We do see that element of hamminess that he's known for. But he he doesn't have to pull his weight in this. He he is the best actor, and he's he's also given the most to do. I don't know if this has anything to do with Shatner wanting, you know, the lion's share of good lines or the lion's share of the action. But it definitely pays off in this episode. I think he's I think he's he's really good. And as I say, this plays up to the fact that Kirk, you know, is considered a legend when it comes to uh, to being a captain. Yeah, and it's back to my point earlier, whereas he's seemingly in impossible situations to deal with and he still pulls through with his reassurance, with his calm nature, he never panics and he knows exactly what to do to eliminate a threat. So I think he deserves his legendary status in series and universe, should I say. Definitely. And again, uh, Ansara, he was brought on to replace John Colicos. And I think they played a blinder by getting him because if if Colicos hadn't, got other commitments and Sarah may never have been seen and I think that would have been a, a real loss because as, as you know as as character actors go for guest stars I don't think you could have got a better type of uh, type of actor I think he's fantastic in this one even when he's listening to Kirk over the uh, audio comm and he's like contemplating on whether it's a bluff or a trick or whatever else, I think him literally just standing there with a sword in his hands and contemplating the situation is enough. And when they threaten to kill his wife Mara, he's very unapologetic. He understands, like the character understands that it's a death for the war. And it's interesting to see his performance where he's clearly contemplating is it the right move yes he says it's a death of war but you can see he's seldom upset not up maybe not the word upset not the word to use but he is a little bit fearful of losing her as a result of the war even though he's a very bloodthirsty person whose you know commitment is the war in the first place because at the start all he could go on about was war so it's like the subtleties in his performance um, with the characters kind of traits and needs and whatever uh, they really shine through and I can't know I don't know anyone else who could have pulled off such a performance to be honest with you yeah I mean you mentioned that bit where he's listening on the communicator and he's you know holding the dagger and that is such an iconic image now and I just look at it and I get the same kind of so freaking cool vibes that I do when I you know see certain scenes from Pulp Fiction it's, it's yeah. that kind of he, he, he has that kind of weight about his character that you, you just think this this guy's just amazing badass yeah and you don't he's unpredictable yeah. as well as an antagonist you know you say oh, the charisma makes it odds that he is a villain but I think the unpredictability of the character is what makes him a really strong antagonist well, I mean, we've mentioned Mara quite a lot. Uh, she's played by Susan Howard. And I think if there is a kind of, you know, third place in this it's, with regards to a triumvirate of, of good acting, it's Susan Howard. I think she she's absolutely 
great in this. And this was the first time that we'd really, you know, seen a Klingon woman, especially in a speaking role. So, yeah, she she really, I think she really sells the character. Yeah, and I think when she was like pursuing the, you know, the truth, and she says, "Oh, we're over the telecoms. Oh, it's a trick." And then afterwards, she pleads to um to him to actually listen to Kirk and whatever I think it was just like a really strong performance and again my favourite line I'm going to say again is when uh, she and Kirk are talking or it may have been uh, Spock actually just talking about the motivations of the species and whatever and it's that very scene about the hunters I just think that entire delivery of that bit of exposition is just sublime so yeah I'd say the faction leaders are definitely being Kirk and um Oh, what's his bloody name? Kang. Uh, of course, the standouts. But if it were to be anyone, it would be her as third place, for sure. But again, it's just a case of what you said yeah. earlier. I mean, she does kind of keep stuff to do because those are the only three that actually has stuff to do, really. Yeah. I mean, she does do a good job of kind of keeping you guessing because you get to a point at some point where they actually see the alien entity and you think, oh, she's got a be on side now she's got to be you know see where this is going and she still remains loyal to to her husband and the Klingon Empire and so you you know you, you, she's got that ambiguity around her even to what even later on in the episode and it's only when you know Kang finally calls Kirk's bluff that she realizes that maybe these people aren't lying and I think she puts in such a great performance throughout this that you, you kind of carried along with her, and when they do see the alien parasite in the the corridor, and you are thinking, surely now she's got to agree with Kirk that this needs to be done, and she doesn't. I don't know about you, but I got this such feeling of disappointment. I'm I'm like, no, yeah. no, come on, you can do this. Like on the on the back of that, uh, I think when they do find the entity and whatever, uh, Kirk just rattles off like all the information that we need to know as an audience member about what this thing is and he is a bit of a weird bit where he's just like rouse off everything that he knows about it so it must mean this this and that it feeds off this and that and i was like okay how do you know first of all you say it with such conviction whatever but the fact that he says it with so much conviction to the other characters and her in particular it does rub off in the wrong way in terms of why didn't she believe it or why didn't she actually open up her view to this creature being there that the Klingons weren't even aware at the start they were like well who could have been doing this if it wasn't us so the Klingons didn't know and she showed no sign of you know changing her mind which was interesting yeah. and the ambiguity could be a positive I can absolutely say uh say that yeah I did, I did think she put in a really good performance as she as you say I mean uh Shatner and Sarah and Howard, they did the, the kind of heavy lifting because it was most mostly around that. I mean, you've got your regular crew. Takei, he uh, he got to appear in a Jeffrey's tube. Uh, I mean, they took him they took him down to engineering. But in Koenig, we've already gone over. Uh, Nichelle Nichols as Ahura. I think all of them. I mean, I'll, I'll kind of disagree with you a bit on, on Koenig. Like I said, maybe it's because I've been exposed to more of the, the mm. episodes. But I think they all put in good performances with the the very little that a lot of them got, especially, you know, someone like Nimoy. I mean, there, there was that 
really great scene on the bridge with uh, him, Doohan, and Shatner. And yeah, they're, they're really good in, in in what they have, but it's it's they don't get a lot, if you know what I mean. They, yeah. they, they do find time to squeeze that little scene in where Scotty goes ape shit over the Claymore. Uh, you know, let's have a nice little bit of humour in between the the bigotry and the assault. But yeah, for the performances, what they what they have, the, I do think they make the best of the the absolute dearth of material that they're given. I do concur because the scene on the bridge, like you just mentioned, off the three of them, and then it ends with Kirk saying, "What are we doing to each other? This is not who we are." I just thought that was definitely the stand up like scene for I guess you, we could say Spock isn't a side character he's a main cast member but in this episode he very much is a side cast member so that was the scene where they really stood out so yeah props to that scene I gotta mention it again since you did as well I think the only the only other guy who who gets kind of in some respects he gets as much screen time as some of the main is uh, the main cast is uh, David L. Ross uh, Lieutenant Johnson I believe the the red shirt who starts giving Kirk some lip later on in the corridor with regards to going and fighting the Klingons he was a prick yes <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah you kind of expect that from, from red shirts and Starfleet admirals they, can, they have a tendency to be assholes sometimes but uh, yeah, he he even even in the midst of everything, I would say he, he kind of made Walter Koenig's performance look understated. Yes, I can buy that. I've also got to give a, give a shout out to Mark Tobin, he uh, who plays a Klingon in this episode, and just going back to the previous one that recorded with Mike, he would return more than thirty years later to, to play a Klingon in the episode Barge of the Dead on Voyager. So uh, it's nice to see that that's that's carrying over. I would recommend the episode, as I say, Blood Oath, which is Deep Space Nine, and I think it's flashback in Voyager where Michael Ansara turns up as Kang in both. Yeah, I would definitely give those a go, and I will report back to you and uh, Michael about what I think about them. Like in, in the close short-term future as well so you guys know I, i'm actually actively watching star trek but back to your original question about the acting uh i've said like check off his outburst it gave him something to do and i will trust your judgment when you say well he's been hammy more in more so in other episodes so in this episode he's quite tame and again it was only one scene where he was like proper hammy and even then, it was to propel the plot forward in terms of what the bad, big, the uh, yeah, the big bad's capabilities actually were in terms of manipulating not only changing matter but also changing memories. Oh, this guy suddenly has a brother that he actually believes to be palpable, and like actually died in the past. So I guess it's good to establish, you know, that. But again, just because he's a goofy-looking character getting angry it doesn't bode well but again for the plot it propels it so it's not really a problem that's fair enough that's fair enough uh, so we'll go on to direction and uh, mm. have you got any feelings with regards to uh, how the episode was directed i don't have many thoughts for this section however what i do like and i guess this kind of does feed into the visual effects more so um, but the actual, I'm just going to call it the big bad for this episode, to be honest with you. The the spiral of fire, we can call it. In some scenes, the sparkles of fire. Yeah. Um, I do like how it kind of maneuvered around the ship. 
So from the director's point of view, it's literally just panning the camera, more of a cinematography kind of point, really, uh, the camera moving, but the visual effects of like the big bats, like maneuvering around corridors, going down elevator shafts. Um, I did actually find that really impressive with how the, dyna the dynamic of the visual effects kind of did work um, in that respect because it could have been so shoddy. Thinking about like classic Doctor Who, I think this just, the uh, original series of Star Trek shits on classic Doctor Who at least the first 10 years of it just because you would never see anything like this in Doctor Who and if you did it would be some shit like the Wet Planet, the William Hartnell story of just like experimental Doctor uh, experimental television just done horrendously <laughs> because whereas with this this was experimental television with like playing with visual effects done really well because you could actually kind of sense that it wasn't well you uh, we obviously know it's visual effects but if you actually look at it it just genuinely look real as opposed to just like and I said they overlaid on the top and then they add some keyframes of it going left to right you know what I mean it actually looked palpable I think the word is well I mean it's a shout out I'll give a shout out to uh, visual effects supervisor James Rugg uh, obviously we've mentioned it before the production budget for season 3 had been drastically cut so he was told to be creative it was actually a child spinning windmill bought from a stand at Santa Monica Beach okay. uh, he bought it after noticing how it glistened in the sunlight filmed it turning with the help of a desk fan and with different gels on the spotlights to help make it feel unearthly and disguise what it was he also under and ran the film backwards so you know I mean he went kind of above and beyond there for that for that creature and it, and it does kind of work uh, the effect <laughs> the, the FX aside I thought the direction was passable for the most part although there was one a really strange kind of weird zoom in on Shatner in a turbo lift and it just ah, kind of seemed so out of place because there wasn't anything it, it just seemed I don't know I don't know if it was done for editing reasons or there's a problem with the the, the, the film that they shot but it just seemed very odd yeah I think in that kind of case it would be like a if it was like a creative decision it would be a, because it was a problem on with what they shot maybe it was like encroachment on the frame by a shadow of a crew member or something like trivial like that because I do know what you're on about and it does it did seem out of place I agree so it was probably just like they had no choice they were backed into a corner they had to do it maybe in the edit somehow yeah yeah I mean, the other things I've got, we've already mentioned the empty corridors, it, you know, it drew my attention. That awesome shot of Kang while he's on the communication and the, the, the reuse footage of engineering with the hovering entity recycled from Tholian Web. Mm. Uh, the one thing that uh, I will point out, there's a really, I, I felt anyway, there's a really good use of lighting throughout the episode. Yes. Uh, you know, some good shadow play and when looking at the feeding and it was on in its red phase and then it went to the more innocuous lighter colors i think uh, i think the the lighting throughout this episode was done really well 
Yeah, because the episode, of course, like is based on an antagonist that feeds off of evil thoughts and hatred and whatever. And uh, I did notice a lot of the episode is lit in red to kind of, you know, be on theme. So I do again. It seems pretty easy. I hate so light it red but it does work because it's not like a harsh red that is like the focus like the lighting is definitely not the focus of what you're seeing it doesn't take away from the performances or what you're actually seeing on screen like the detail of the background for example however it's subtle enough to still be noticeable and you still like appreciate it because you know these subtleties you know i'm i do university and whatever and i have to kind of implement these sort of stuff in edits and whatever i have to realize what they kind of shot know how to like uh, know what to build upon in the edit for example the lighting exaggerate some lighting if it needs to be and i think um in that respect this episode nails it in post-production and production because of the lighting in uh, production in the first place Okay, I'm going on a tangent here, but because the post-production thing wasn't, like, as good as it is now, obviously they kind of exaggerated the lighting <laughs> and, like, what we actually saw on screen. So, screw post-production. That's just from my editing mind. But production-wise, yes, the lighting was exactly what it needed to be. There we go. Tangent done. Uh, do you know which version was it that you saw? Was it the original or was it the remastered one with the uh, the you know, the CG effects for the ships. I would assume it's the remastered version because it was the version on Netflix UK. That's the one I watched. Uh, when I went back, when we watched regards to this one, I thought I'll watch the, the more modern take. It's... I do like what they've done with the remaster. It doesn't... For for this, with the exploding debris from the Klingon ship, I think it uh, it was it was quite passable, and I think it added to the episode rather than distracted from it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know what to kind of link it to because I've never seen the original version. So maybe I have to, and I should like to actually know what the differences are. But um, I just if, I just looked at it from like a a perspective of something that was made fifty years ago. So maybe the 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 big bad the antagonist looking so again i'm gonna use the word palpable i don't think that's the right word to use but looking so dynamic so real is because of enhanced cgi nowadays that makes it look better but not good in terms of like you can't apply nowadays pristine cgi to something from 50 years ago because it looks so out of place and too try hardy so like with the doctor who reconstructions and whatever when they redo the visual effects they only ever redo the visual effects if the visual effects in the first place were horrendous because of course they can't just like reissue it with horrendous uh cgi yeah. so i think in this case it's a case of okay maybe it wasn't the best so they're going to make it passable i think that's the word passable as opposed to good and i i gotta say i do prefer this format of one 50 minute episodes uh each series well not one episode but you know what i mean every episode is 50 minutes whereas doctor who is split up into like four maybe six maybe eight one time 12 uh 30 minute episodes and i just think i much prefer it if it condensed doctor who like back in the day down to that like the format that we're used to nowadays because if i'm going by doctor who standards and should i say the modern standard star trek was very ahead of its time compared to doctor who in terms of like the storytelling well no maybe not the storytelling because doctor who back in the 60s relied heavily 
on you know the storytelling and the charm of the performances and whatever whereas with Trek the original series so far has in my opinion more compelling visual effects like general um you know ambition and when it is ambitious it's usually really really good as opposed to doctor who where it used to fall flat on his face i.e the web planet again yeah have you got anything else with the direction rfx uh no i think that's about it whereas well you know the matter changing between um you know normal everyday objects and the swords that was pretty good because with those kind of shots where you have to literally ex- uh, match the exact framing for it to actually work and not look comical, it's so difficult to do. And with, especially with the lighting, with shadows and whatever, and I thought uh, they did a good job because especially with the swords on the table, it was pretty much seamless. Like, you know, from like a filmmaker's perspective, like uh, from your perspective of where you just watch absolutely everything, and you you you're well versed in terms of like how TV is made and whatever and film is made, you know what like they kind of pulled yeah. off there behind the scenes. Whereas if on screen, it just played off really well, and that's my only real fault. It's like the matter changes that was done well, and not much else to be honest with you. It was it was done really well, and I do like the conceit. I mean, again, it could be down to you know budgetary reasons why they thought, well, if we have too much phase of fire, or it could just be down to the you know, it, it's hard to know when in a situation like this what to give credit to. Uh, but yeah, I think it was done really well, and it kind of added that. Uh, it kind of. Added the swords and as you say it was done really well how matter transmuted from one to the other without looking hokey yeah and especially back in the day especially when it's still so tough nowadays yeah because there's no like changing the angle of the camera it's literally frame for frame the same so it's impressive that they could pull it off yeah I mean I in, in lesser shows, you will get subtle differences in the shadows placed with another shot, but I think they've done really well with this. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I've really got in the direction. But yeah, props to them because I've only got positives to say about it. Nice. Uh, so yeah, with regards to... Uh, now we're going... Go on to the, the the sound design the soundtrack do you have anything outstanding from that I know you've mentioned that the uh, the mixing was a little off at one point with regards to McCoy but other than that you, you really like the soundtrack yeah uh, yeah not much to say on this section either but the soundtrack was sublime except from one track where McCoy as you said you know gets a little bit angry with the crew however otherwise I just thought uh, the transition shots uh, the transition scene, should I say, with the music playing and swelling up in the most integral moments uh, was pretty phenomenal, to be honest with you. Really pretty, angelic soundscape, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is, kind of, by this point, it is mostly kind of stock soundtrack right. that they're using from Alexander Courage and, you know, well in this, and it, it does add to the atmosphere of uh, the situation that they find themselves in. I, I really like it. I can't remember. There's nothing really that jumped out at me. I, 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 I did quite like the, the sound when it came to the parasite. It wasn't outstanding, but it wasn't uh, 
it, it wasn't insipid either. It, it was kind of that it felt like a natural part of the episode rather than trying to draw attention to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it was more of a, like, a beneficial to it as opposed to distracting, yeah. I get you. So, I mean, that brings us to the end of looking at the specifics. Is there anything that you think we haven't covered? Anything you'd like to bring up personally about the episode? Uh, no, I think we've had a good conversation about, you know, the more philosophical aspects of, like, the story and whatever. And I think the te technical aspects have all been covered as much as we can. Uh, I, yeah, I don't really have much more to say. Otherwise, uh, again, it's quite disappointing that it was never kind of brought upon, built upon, should I say, again in future episodes, much like the other episodes that I've watched where I feel just like, okay, there's a bit of potential there. But yeah, I, I'm not sure about the context to the rest of the series, Series 3 specifically, in terms of if this is the best of a bad bunch and whatever. But I, I'm not going to say, oh, it's a great episode or it's a shit episode. It's, uh, yeah, it's just a solid, good episode, to be honest with you. And again, like you said, it's got its like, problems with, you know, modern standards, with, you know, some of the content. But again, I, I think the soul cannot be justified. Whereas with everything else, I guess it is interest, interesting to see like how the main characters do kind of go against who they usually are as people. I think that's really interesting. And again, even with my limited track viewing, I did I was um I am invested in these characters enough to realise oh, okay, that's not how they would usually respond. Like your point earlier about how the the female on the bridge was ex exasperated whereas usually she's very calm i didn't realize that but now that you mention it of course yeah in the past she's been a very you know somber in like the times of danger she's always like relaying information onto the captain in a very calm way so yes it's interesting in that respect and it makes me want to watch more to be honest with you oh i like to hear that mate mm. i like to hear that <laughs> naturally yeah and i will so and i will what we'll do <laughs> yeah yeah I, I, you, you keep saying that dude I'll, <laughs> this time I'm, I'm gonna hold hold you to it okay <laughs> so what we'll do now we'll go our regular roundup uh, favourite character scene and line from the show Spark analysis so you know we'll start with the character who's your favourite in this one ooh it's, I think it's it's the boring answer but it's gotta be Kirk Yeah, it's just because there's only like three yeah. performances where the characters have really given much. Well, the actors, should I say, are given much to work with. So it's only between three uh, characters, in my opinion. And again, if I'm being like charitable, I can say, oh, one of the other two were stronger, but in my opinion, they weren't. So I'm just going solely based on performance here. Shatner like killed it, so it would be Kirk, my favorite here. Yeah, I uh, I think we're in agreement here. As much as as much as a fan of, I am of Kirk, I don't normally go for him in this, but in this it's gonna have to be him. I mean, he's the as I said earlier, he's the MVP in this. He, he manages to keep his head and figure out the issue when even Spock falls prey to the entity. Uh, you know, credit where it's due. It's one of those situations that demonstrates his reputation, and I think Shatner just acted his socks off in this one. So yeah. I'm gonna have to go with Kirk myself, so awesome. got some nice little, nice little concurrence on that one. 
Absolutely. And, uh, so, yeah, what's your favourite scene, mate? Oh, my favourite scene would have to be... Oh, that's a good one. Uh, perhaps the scene where they are on the bridge and uh, it ends with Kirk saying, what are we doing with each other? Like, what are we doing to, to each other? Because they're never like that and they come to the realisation, like, yes, they knew that they were being influenced already, but the the stronghold, the strength, the threshold, perhaps, that the entity, the parasite, now had on them had become too strong to actually overcome. And, you know, um, Spock's line about, okay, so we know what this threat is, so now we can't really think, we can't really, um, you know, know for certain if our memories are true. I th- That's probably also my favourite line about Spock and his memories about uh, if they're actually true. So I've skipped a beat there. That's probably my favourite line. But it's also probably my favourite scene as well. So, yeah. That's nice. Well, I mean, with regards to the scene, that's two for two, Mike, because I agree with you completely on that. And you've you pretty much said it much more eloquently than I could. So, yeah, we agree on that one. Awesome. Uh, Favourite line? I am going to go with the only a fool fights in a burning house mm. uh, from Kang towards the end because I think it pretty much sums up the futility of, you know, this race to the bottom where they're just trying to kill each other. And it's you know they could achieve so much more by by working yeah. together, and I think it, as I say, I think it just sums up, it uh, summarizes it in 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 one in one small sentence. And I, and I I did have a a problem choosing a line in this because there are so many good lines in this one. But yeah, I'm gonna have to go with go with that one. Awesome. So we do have a little difference at the end. We go two for three. Yeah, we're not. I'm not just copying uh, copying Will's homework, everybody. It's, so, so uh, before we got the the, uh, the conclusions, as usual, we asked the uh, the listeners and those on social media what they thought of the episode. And holy shit, we got a lot this week. Hmm. Uh, yeah, the response was massive. So if you just bear with me, nerves. Uh, well, I'll read out what we got. Incoming transmission. Now, uh, Ed Griffiths on uh, social media says, All unpleasant humanoids feed off negative emotions. The unnamed entity in Day of the Dove is a clever distillation of human fear and aggression epitomized. One of the best Klingons. We need no cause to hate humans, but only a full fight's in a burning ship. Hey, he likes that line too. Hmm. Uh, Bry Guy at... Uh, the four star I'm, I'm i'm guessing this on twitter he says as a kid this was the definitive klingon romp for me especially their transporter system as an adult i prefer errand of mercy but this one is still a top-notch entry uh the nerdporeal life form at nerdporeal on twitter says in the trek universe what doesn't an entity feed off of at least we know one that feeds off annoyance and he has a uh, a little picture of q from next generation uh Lord Vader at Lord Vader underscore MD says, I was thinking of this episode a few days ago. It feels a lot like it feels like a lot of the media and online content acts as the alien in this episode. They drive division and thrive on the clicks. It was an unsettling thought to realize the parallels between the story and reality. Now, uh, Roly Poly1234 on Twitter 
said, always wondered about the hundreds of crew members trapped and kept from fighting the Klingons. Were they fighting each other? Were they trying to break out? All in all, though, a strong episode and an important message about hate and war. Mike Poteet uh, on Twitter at BiblioMike says, one of the series' best in season three or any season. Its message of needing to resist hate, despite having real grievances, is a challenging and still timely one. Plus, sword fights on the Enterprise. What could be better? Uh, Rick Taylor says, I love this episode. I love this deeply conceptual episode. The poor creature will probably vomit if it tried to feed on me. Lots of hate one second, complete happiness and peace the next. Unless I take my medication, then it's more. Uh, Ted Rampian says, in the past... Uh, yeah, that's at Ted Rampian, by the way. In the past, I would have considered the notion of a creature that feeds on hate and rage to be completely far-fetched, but that was before I encountered political Twitter. Hmm. So, yes. Uh, at Globehop says, at the end, the alien grows in size as if threatening to bust through the TV set before sliding off. The message, the virus of hate could enter your home. Love the fourth wall break. That's an interesting aspect. I never, I never picked up on that. What about you? Okay. Yeah. I, I never actually noticed that it got bigger. So that's an interesting point. I'd have to rewatch like that scene to be, to be honest with you, to see if he's onto something. But yeah, interesting, definitely. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Uh, Rick Caverson. Uh, uh, hi, Rick. He says, "I love this episode. The idea of the entity is a great one, albeit a bit clunkily realized." I always get slightly frustrated at the crew not realising for so long what's going on, but that's a minor thing. Mike Lansara as Kang is absolutely marvellous in this, taking John Colicus' setup of the Klingons as core and making something new and wonderful. Kang is the Klingon you wouldn't want to cross. Battling across the Enterprise is awesome and fun stuff, and the final resolution of Kirk convincing Kang to join against a common foe was a very nice Trek-style conclusion. One of my favourites and sadly overlooked as season three is largely condemned as poor, but there are a few absolute gems in it like this. Uh, Andy Shuttleworth says, an excellent metaphor for how evil feeds on evil. How good and honourable people can yield to it is stoked enough, but shows how it can also be overcome. All wrapped in sci-fi. Classic Trek. Okay. And Wiley says... I love this episode mainly because we get to see the better half of the Klingons. I cosplayed Mara before it was known as cosplay. Also, I think the entity could feed off negative energies and this episode's statement was awesome, even with the constraints of network and the late 60s. It would be interesting to see how it would be done with today's standards and technology. Uh, J.R. Buckley on Mastodon says, I live with a narcissist, so I'm used to an evil entity feeding off my negative emotions. And... Uh, Tim Ruppert, also a Mastodon, says, What this episode gets right is that cooperation and common goals transcend selfish goals. Anthropologists said the human ability to be compassionate is a huge part of the success of our species. What it gets wrong is the virtual blackface of the Klingon makeup. And maybe that the enemy of my enemy is my friend is all it is. So that hostilities between the planets resumes once the entity leaves. That's kind of what you were suggesting also, Will. So, mm. yeah, it looks like someone else has picked up on that. And finally, Subcommander Tal says, A bit clumsy in parts, but I love its dark and moody atmosphere. Fascinating sci-fi concept of an alien that subsists on hate and violent emotions. Great guest performances from Michael Ansara and Susan Howard. I always enjoy it. 
so yeah for the most part everyone seems to uh to uh to like this episode and it's interesting how you know like with the best tv like with the best narratives uh each person takes takes a little something different from it yeah and i'm glad to see that it's not just like an us thing that is like a really positively received episode yeah yeah so uh now we know what the audience thinks it's time to go to our conclusions so will i'm gonna ask you what's your conclusion on the episode and your score out of five starfleet emblems of course i will completely forget the uh the rating system that we have going on i'll just remember the five part i think that's the important part <laughs> Uh, so yeah I think I waffled on just before our favourite lines that kind of yeah. bit about what my general thoughts yeah. on the episode were so uh, I'll first of all apologies for kind of going over already treaded grounds but to conclude I would say this is a really good episode um, wherein we actually get to see perhaps the manifestations of the bad in people like come out uh, the hatreds that those people have in Spock's case perhaps for himself with being a hybrid uh, Vulcan human hybrid and whatever half human uh, his uh, hatred towards humans and their emotions and whatever um, I think again like you touched upon DK the, the lighting uh, was subtle enough and it, it was a big standout uh, positive for me as was the music um, from that perspective you know it couldn't have been much better I think uh, some of the side cast um, performance-wise were slightly weak, but again, they didn't have much, so it doesn't really take away from my overall feelings of the story. It was just two scenes that I didn't particularly enjoy performance-wise. The Chekhov sexual harassment scene was, you know, unacceptable, shouldn't be uh, justified or, you know, explained away even now or even back then, should I say. Uh, just it was like one of those dark moments like a clumsy moment like one of the the audience members said uh, in the audience reaction and um but otherwise yes it's a fascinating story i think we've spoken a lot about it in depth and it's definitely an interesting one and i'd give it a 3.5 out of 5 starter del fleets oh, i don't know what it is yeah that <laughs> nice one mate uh yeah i'll uh i'll give mine and then we'll work out the uh the average so yeah i've got uh in many ways even with even with the absence of core day of the dove is not only the sequel to errand of mercy but it's the anti-errand of mercy another energy being becomes involved in proceedings only this time it's all about the fighting they have some great performances not only from shatner but from it's also got some fantastic character moments but even though it still all feels a little lackluster at times to me as if at this point they're simply trying to find ways to excuse the lack of budget it has the feeling of being involved after everyone else has gone home and it does the story a disservice and it is a really good story it sets up the fantastic premise that really highlights how futile war is and just what it can be achieved with cooperation rather than aggression it's quintessential trek and utterly dispels the idiotic notion some you know and i'm using quotes here fans have this star trek only became and as low as i am to use the word is to illustrate the point woke in recent years 
Granted, they do well with what they have, but it feels like a missed opportunity. It's a shame, too, as given the proper budget, this could have truly been a legendary episode. And I've given it four out of uh, five Starfleet Deltas, which brings, with together with Will, it to, it to a 3.75 average. That's interesting. So, yeah, that's you were harsher with your review and you gave it a higher score than me who i thought was more positive with their review so that's interesting but i think you're right about the budget and stuff it could have been like a 10 out of 10 9 out of 10 with the budget oh easily easily if 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 they weren't suffering from the uh you know the budget cuts at that point i think it would have been up there with the very best of trek mm. so uh as it stands i think I think it's it's good but it just kind of misses out on that so yeah it's a shame yeah so i don't, I don't it's 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 on the leaderboard it's definitely not the worst one this season so uh yeah it's it's held up and it still holds up so uh yeah dave got it everyone you've heard our thoughts on the episode anything you'd like to add if so please contact us on our social media media accounts link as always are in the description or just leave a comment on our youtube channel and as usual if you've enjoyed this episode please like subscribe and share and once again if you listen to this and thought hey these two aren't that bad together they're not completely useless <laughs> and want to listen to our review of enterprise's future tense from last season or hear what mike and i thought about the aforementioned errand of mercy then uh, please check out our early episodes. It's just a thing for your commute to work or if you're so inclined, meetings while at work. And if you did enjoy this but still thought, hey, I could do better than these clowns, then drop us a line. We're always <laughs> looking for fellow Trekkies to geek about the show with. And you're more than welcome to join us in this relaxed atmosphere and talk smack about episodes you don't like, just like us. Until that, have you had a good time today? I absolutely yeah thanks for having me it was another you know new thing that i've watched and i yeah. thoroughly enjoyed and you guys always picking like good stories for me to watch i think my average on this show is probably like a 3.5 i think that's the lowest i've ever went that's kind of a good run yeah although I, you know at some point michael probably throw you a curveball yes i'm waiting for that day <laughs> maybe next time well, as I said, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me today. It's it's been an absolute pleasure, and as usual, you've helped me out. I just like sat here twiddling my thumbs, going, "Oh God, what do I say?" Hmm. So, is there uh, anything you'd like to tell people about while you're here? Anywhere the audience can find you on social media, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, sure. So, my name is Will Templar. You can find me on Instagram, Will Templar 3 I believe that's my tag, and. Um... You can also catch some Doctor Who game shows if that's kind of your thing. If you're into Doctor Who, uh, simply type into YouTube Who Game Shows, all one word, Who Game Shows, just together, no spaces. And uh, yeah, get your teeth into some quiz quizzes. So yeah, check me out on there. Otherwise, yes, pleasure to be here. Nice one. Well, as usual, you know, as we always do, we'll put the links in the description to uh, to make it easier for anybody that wants to to check it out thank you very much so again thanks for joining me it's been great to have you uh, and that's all uh, like subscribe and share uh, and hopefully we'll see you next time and until then remember we are Starfleet live long and prosper and kapla live long and prosper kapla 
You have been listening to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast, hosted by Michael Wilson and DK. Created, produced, and edited by Michael Wilson. Additional material produced by DK. Music by Timeless Journey. More information can be found at soundcloud.com forward slash timeless journey. The Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast is based on an idea by Michael Wilson and Will Templar. Follow the podcast on Instagram at Home Star Trek Podcast or look for the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast under Facebook groups. Links to all our social media accounts and more are in this episode's description. This podcast is available on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for Silver Screen Hit or Miss Star Trek. This has been a Mike's Podcast production, copyright 2022. Thank you for listening.